Locked on NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we will stop in Minnesota to speak with Colton Molesky of Locked On Wolves about Minnesota's big Game 3 win. We'll then head to the Bay Area to speak with Aliko Carter of Locked On Warriors to get the latest news on Steph Curry's knee and figure out what happened in Game 4. And lastly, we'll go to Milwaukee to speak with Eric Name about how the Bucks have turned around their series. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys, welcome to Locked On NBA. I am your host for the Monday edition of this show, Josh Lloyd. I also host the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and I am the lead analyst over at BasketballMonster.com. We have got uh, one playoff series over at this point with a surprising uh, sweep by the Pelicans of the Blazers and lots of intrigue right across the other seven series in the NBA playoffs. Lots of things happening, lots of storylines. So we're going to get into three of the biggest stories across the NBA playoffs landscape today. So let's get stuck straight into it. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Timberwolves podcast, Colton Molesky, who is, uh, on him and, uh, and his team are fresh off a huge, huge upset game three victory over the Houston Rockets. Colton, it must be a huge thrill to actually have playoff basketball back in Minnesota for the first time in 14 years. But not only that, to get such a resounding victory over a Houston Rockets team, which had been demolishing pretty much everyone, including the Timberwolves in the first couple of games, uh, to get that huge win. How big was it in, in the arena uh, and for the city of Minnesota to get that victory? I think it was huge. I think if you watch the game or were at the game, you kind of notice right away there's a real playoff atmosphere for the Timberwolves, the home crowd was really behind them, and everything was set up in this game. So, you know, uh, I, we've watched a lot of basketball over the years, and you know that if a team is down 2-0, going back home, that game three is the chance to steal a game, and they missed an opportunity in game one, took advantage of it in game three, really good for the, to see them put together the pieces and finish with a great victory on at home in front of the, the fans who desperately wanted to see the Timberwolves not only play in the playoffs, but win in the playoffs. So how did they turn it around after the first couple of games? Like, What was the big difference? Was it getting Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler more involved after they'd been you know, marginally minimized throughout the first couple of games? Well, it was a couple of things. First of all, this was the first game I really think that Jimmy Butler looked actually healthy. If you look at his stats from the first few games, this is a guy who doesn't shy away from the spotlight, so him not shooting a bunch, I don't think that's necessarily the same as Carl Anthony Towns not shooting a bunch, where you see him not get involved in the offense. I think that's his wrist bothering him, his shoulder bothering him, maybe some hangover from the knee. But this game, he looked healthy. He was getting to the, the rim. He had a, a few free throws. He got seven boards, obviously with the 28 points, definitely shooting more. So this game, he really looked healthy. More designated effort to get Carl Anthony Towns involved in the game plan, which is really good. Also, the Timberwolves shot really well from three-point range. They made just as many three-pointers. That's right, just as many three-pointers as the Rockets. 15 threes went for them. They shot 56%, or excuse me, 55.6% from downtown. 
really a perfect game for everything to click. You had you had Towns with a good night. You had uh, Butler and Wiggins both played well. And you had Teague with a solid night. So everything was clicking, and they shot really well. They shot 50% from the field, and they shot well from three-point land. All of that chalks up to a win. And I, I think you had everything kind of clicking in for the Timberwolves for the first time this series. You talked about that shooting percentage, you know, 55.6% from three, and obviously going at that sort of a rate is unsustainable, but it wasn't just entirely the three-point shooting that got them over the line here in game three. We had a, and it's happened in two of the three games so far, and I, I've been far from the biggest supporter of uh, of Derek Rose, but he, he did play well. He scored 17 points off the bench, um, didn't do a huge amount else, but how have you found the way that Tom Thibodeau has really changed his rotations up? We're seeing fewer minutes from Taj Gibson, we're seeing more minutes of Jimmy Butler at the four and running more of those three-guard lineups. Is that? Do you think that's something that's mainly because of the opposition and the way that Houston likes to run things? Or is that going to be, yeah, if they were to face a different opponent or to get through this round, would that be something that, that Tibbs would continue to run with? I want to say that it was him finally listening to some of the stuff that's been said and finally seeing some of the things that I think a lot of us people covering the Timberwolves saw that they could have with a couple guards in there in their lineup. But I, I th- I'm more inclined to think that it was him just rolling with his guy, Derek Rose, and loving that he had him back on the, on the roster as a piece to play with. Uh, but whatever the reason is, it's working. Rose has been pretty solid off the bench for two of the three games they've had against the Rockets, and he's finished the year well for the Timberwolves playing off the bench. I think he's been a solid bench player. I think he's done a really good job in his role. And you see him with 16 shots, but he has been shooting really efficiently, 50% shooting in this game. I think it's important to note that not only is is he contributing, but he's contributing in an efficient way. And that was one of the things I was scared about personally, having Derrick Rose on the roster, was that he would be an inefficient shooter and kind of suck up more shots that the Timberwolves couldn't really spare. But he's been shooting efficiently. He's been getting to the rim and really helping Wiggins and Crawford, so that if they have opportunity to shoot threes, they're a little more open, and he's been doing a good job of just getting to the rim and then kicking it out in certain opportunities. I don't think he's been necessarily a ball hog, even though he does have a few more shots than maybe some people would like to see from him. I I really think it's a great addition. I really like seeing Tibbs go smaller, especially against the Rockets, and when you're able to shoot like they've been shooting last night, or excuse me, the other night against the Rockets, then uh, it clearly works. Interestingly, like when Jimmy Butler was out at the end of the regular season, we saw huge minutes from Nemanja Bjelica, you know, 40 minutes a night for you know, multiple consecutive nights, but basically he's out of the rotation now. In, in game three, he barely saw the court, only three minutes of action, took one shot and missed that. What has been the the reason for this change? Is it just because of him, of, of Tibbs running with Derek Rose more that we just can't see any of these minutes for, for Bjelica? Because it, it is a startling change in terms of how he's being used. Well, obviously, Crawford's still going to get his minutes, and Derrick Rose is going to take minutes from Bielitsa. But also, Bielitsa, really after September of this season, really fell off defensively. And then on the offensive side, he is so bipolar offensively. He'll have, he had the 30-point night against the Celtics. Uh, I think that's over a month and a half ago now. And then he'll have a night where he really doesn't do anything offensively. I think right now you just got to stick with the hot hand. And Derrick Rose is the one who has a couple of shots, a couple of moves that he can consistently go to and get buckets. He's the guy who you're going you're gonna to lean on in the playoffs versus Bielitsa, who 
hasn't really it felt he feels like he's been out of rhythm for the last couple of months offensively and he's not really sure what exactly is working for him consistently on offense. So if he's going to go to a bench player consistently outside of Crawford, Rose right now is that guy because he knows the kind of shots that really help this offense and really help him get in a rhythm. Colton, playoff basketball is back in Minnesota for the first time since 2004. Minnesota fans, what sort of hope do you think that they should have for Game 4 after this fantastic Game 3 performance? Again, based on a little bit of unsustainable shooting, but... Yeah, they, they hung with the Rockets in, in game one, um, almost you know, snatched the victory at the end. They, there were moments early in game two where they played well. You know, should Minnesota fans, especially after this game, be, be feeling hopeful? I think the most reasonable expectation is for the Timberwolves to be in this game like they were in game one. I expect a very close game for the second game in Minnesota. I'm not sure if they'll get a win. Again, the, the Rockets have been shooting really poorly in this series. And they still have yet to break the 40% mark. They haven't shot over 40% from three-point range in this series. But this is still the team that won 65 of their games during the regular season. They have what we assume will be the MVP of the league in James Harden. They have Chris Paul. They have great role players in Eric Gordon, in Trevor Ariza, and Clint Capella. And so this is a really good team. I'm not expecting them to do anything crazy like pull out uh, a few games and try and tip the series, but I think it's a reasonable expectation is for the Timberwolves to be really in this game, and if Jimmy Butler plays healthy like he did against the Rockets the other night, then they're in every game. It's going to be very interesting to see how it all pans out. I don't think many people were expecting the Wolves. Well, I know I wasn't personally expecting the Wolves to get a game off Houston, but they got it, and they got it pretty comfortably. We can check out all of the information, uh, previews and recaps and that over on Locked On Wolves with yourself, Colton, and everyone should be going and checking out that. Thanks for jumping on here on Locked On NBA to talk about a, a massive uh, Game 3 victory for Minnesota. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. Aliko Carter, Locked On Warriors. Game four, the Warriors are expected to go through and, and I guess pretty comfortably handle the Spurs, but it, it wasn't the case. What did you see in game four that uh, that may be some sort of a, a sign of worry or, or, or nothing really, more just one of those sort of blips that happens, although that wasn't something that really happened at all for the Warriors last year? Yeah, certainly. I think when you're talking about seven turnovers in the first five minutes of the game, uh, that was the blip that really uh, allowed the Spurs to get out, get in transition and dictate the tempo of the game. And there was really no looking back from there for the Warriors. It was a wire to wire win in particular because, I mean, they turned the ball over in the first two or three uh, possessions of the game and uh, the Spurs never looked back from there. But one thing the Warriors did do well was rebound the ball and it's really interesting the juxtaposition of the rebounding 61 rebounds for the Warriors 34 rebounds for the Spurs uh, but the turnovers were just too much to overcome the Warriors turned it on late but they just couldn't do it the Warriors also shot only 25% from three so that's clearly not something that we expect to happen on a on a continual basis Durant uh, went four of 13 from three again he's going to be better than that even though he did score 34 points um one thing I do want to get out there at the moment, Aliko, is since this you know, victory went the Spurs way and, and the, the Warriors obviously now have to go back and try and close it out in Game 5, you see murmurings of people thinking, oh, did the Warriors not put their full effort into Game 4 so that they could give Steph extra time to rest? But that's that just isn't the case because it doesn't actually impact the start date of Round 2, does it? 
No, it doesn't impact the start date of round two, one, two. Uh, conspiracy theorists can make all of the uh, they can make all of the postulations that they want. You know, Draymond has never uh, the, the Warriors have never lost when Draymond had a triple double. He fell one assist shy of getting his triple double, one rebound shy, one assist shy of getting a, a triple double, and the Warriors lost. It's like, oh, did Draymond, uh, you know, tank that last few possessions, that three pointer that he airballed? Was that on purpose? Of course not. Uh, Draymond had 18 rebounds in this game. He was trying to win as much as anybody else on the court, and it's just silly to uh, to, to think that the Warriors would lose a game on purpose to try to get Steph back, but, uh, you know. Uh, the NBA is full of that kind of fun stuff that we can talk about, but it's it's not real. Uh, I like the way you use the uh, the term fun there. Um, with with that with <laughs> that, the the second round series can't start until April twenty eighth. That's the earliest that this that round two can start. We know the Pelicans have won their series. They're waiting for the winner of this Warriors uh, Spurs series. So even if um, you know the Warriors do close it out in five, they still can't start round two until that same date, exactly the same date that they would start if they had of one game four. So it doesn't have any impact on when Steph is back. Now, we're talking about Steph and his knee injury. What's the latest update as to how he's recovering? He was reevaluated a few days ago. When is his uh, return seeming likely at this point? Well, that's a tough one because Steve Kerr basically said today before the game started that Curry won't be returning anytime soon. He said, not going to play anytime soon. That's the quote. Uh, that he doesn't have any pain in his knee, but he still has some limitations going on, and uh, they're just worried about that. So they haven't put a timetable on re- on his return. That's a little bit worrisome, but I think it's also the playoffs, and they don't want to tip their hand, uh, which is fair. Has Kerr got a, got a history of, of uh, I guess, providing not false uh, injury timelines, but yeah, over, over-exaggerating the return periods of players and then having them sneak back a little bit earlier? Yeah, I think that that, that has happened uh, you know, on numerous occasions during Kerr's tenure. Uh, but I think it's really just a matter of these players work really hard to get back on the court, and Kerr's not really doing it on purpose. But you know, if he can get his players back earlier, if the training staff says, oh, they're good to go, then he's, you know, it's better to be conservative when you're talking to the media uh, than it is to be bullish and say, oh, yeah, you know, he'll be back, you know, tomorrow and he's not going to be back for a week uh so i think it's mostly kerr being conservative rather than trying to pull the wool over our eyes how much do you think the specter of the 2016 playoffs where curry had the same mcl type injury and obviously when he returned wasn't exactly the same and the warriors ended up now not winning the finals there how much do you think that that experience has impacted uh kerr Uh, and Curry in terms of getting him back of being extra cautious in terms of recovery time? Well, one thing about Steve Kerr, he's an extremely smart guy, and smart people learn lessons. And it only takes one time for you to learn that lesson. And the lesson that we learned in 2016 was that uh, Stephen Curry came back too fast, that he wasn't 100%, and that playing never allowed him to get to 100%. And I think they're really trying to get him to 95, 100% this time around and hoping that the, uh, the series that they're playing without him, in particular, you know, uh, going up against Anthony Davis, should they win this first round matchup that they can have all of their pieces together. But if they don't, they're not going to rush Steph back. They're just not going to do that. And I think that's the lesson that was learned from 2016 is, is, is it just doesn't make sense to do that. And you're also putting a player at risk 
when when you do that as well. So I think they're all on the same page. Steph wants to play, but uh, it's not going to be like it was two years ago. You're looking at game four. To me, the, the, the simple thing to look at with it is that yeah, the the Warriors didn't make shots. They hit 38% of their field goal attempts, 25% of their threes. Well, the Spurs went 46 and 54% from three. The Warriors turned it over 16 times. The Spurs turned it over eight. And those all of those things are going to normalize. The Warriors' percentages are going to come up. Their turnovers will likely level down a little bit. Maybe not because they weren't that great at protecting the ball during the regular season. And the Spurs shooting from three especially is going to come down. But aside from those things normalizing, is there anything the Warriors you think need to change after seeing the way Game 4 played out? Well, you got to spring Clay Thompson open for better shots. Uh, you know, I think that there was a lot of uh, Kevin Durant hero ball in this game. You mentioned he took 13 three-pointers. I don't ever want to see Kevin Durant taking 13 three-pointers in a game. I think that eight to nine is about as high as I as, as I want because that means he's settling, and that means he's not getting to the paint. That means he's not getting to the line. That means that uh, he's not opening up the court for guys like Clay Thompson to uh, spring open, get open shots. You know, Clay took, uh, what, 16 shots in this game, yep. and very, very few of them were open. Um, and and uh, that has to be a part of the Warriors' bread and butter. Uh, Clay playing so well in the first three games, uh, and he's definitely a bellwether. When the Warriors don't play well, uh, Clay, uh, when the Clay doesn't play well, the Warriors tend not to win. But uh, also, you mentioned turnovers. 16 turnovers, there's a magic number for uh, the Warriors, and it's 16 turnovers. They're a much better team when they make 15 or fewer turnovers, and they're about a 500 team when they have 16 or more. So that magic number they did hit, and it definitely was, you got to start out the game a little bit better. Five turnovers, uh, seven turnovers in the first five minutes just isn't going to cut it. Uh, but specifically, Kevin Durant has to be more aggressive. And I'm not meaning taking shots uh, that the defense is giving him. I mean, you know, being the best scorer on the planet, going and making very difficult shots in the lane, and then keeping the defense honest with the three-pointer rather than relying on it as like, you know, the only tool in his arsenal. Aliko, thank you for coming on and discussing this Warriors loss. The uh, update on uh, on Steph Curry's knee. We're all very interested to see exactly what happens here in Game 5 and moving forward. And uh, I know it's uh, putting the uh, cart before the horse, but uh, we're highly anticipating a potential series with the New Orleans Pelicans, the only team to sweep the Round 1 in the playoffs, which, of course, everyone predicted. Aliko, you'll have everything on Locked On Warriors. Thanks for coming on and talking to us here on Locked On NBA. Thank you, Josh. Now to Milwaukee, where we check in with Eric Name of Locked On Bucks as the Bucks uh, win Game 4 to even the series with the Celtics at two games apiece. Eric, it's been a massive turnaround from the first two games in Boston to these second two games in Milwaukee. What do you put down is, is the biggest reason for that, or are there a myriad of factors? I think the biggest thing has been just the fact that the Bucks have started to switch a lot more of the action that we've seen that the the Celtics run and in doing so kind of exposed what I think most people thought before the series that you know the Celtics team is struggles to score a lot of the times uh they might not have the creators that they need that they're gonna have some struggles offensively and in the first two games they didn't really have that like the Bucks didn't really make things hard on them uh but now since the Bucks came home they win these two games and they win it largely through 
changing what they do defensively. They've started to switch everything. And then a couple of their bench players having huge contributions. At the top of the list is Thon Maker. He's had five blocks in each of the last two games. Uh, he had 14 points in game three. Uh, he was hitting th- he's been hitting threes all over the place, which is just something that, you know, from from time to time, Thon is done, but at the end of the season, he was largely out of the rotation. So he's been huge. Matthew Dellavedova has returned as well. He's been huge, pressuring Terry Rogier and uh, the Celtics point guards up and down the floor, 94 feet. And then Jabari Parker had had a, a great game in Game uh, 3, a great first half in Game 4, and that, to me, has swung the series. What do you think? Yeah, McCurr's been fantastic, obviously, a real spark. And he did this last season in the playoffs against the Raptors as well and a couple of regular season games this season against Toronto too. But both of these performances have come with John Henson out. With the way that the Bucks have responded, with the, the changing of the defensive style, I guess, in these games three and four, what happens when Henson comes back? Do we still get these 20 to 30 minutes out of Thon? Or does he get you know, relegated to a, a smaller role? Because Henson was playing you know, 33 to 37 minutes in the first two games. Where does Zeller fit in? How do you think that Joe Prunty is going to run that return of uh, Henson? And how is that going to impact what's been a, a largely successful run with, uh, with Thon playing at center? One, we'll have to see if Henson returns. Okay. Um, yep. Just be, just because with back injuries, I mean, I'm I'm never one to try to predict how serious they may, may be, um, how what kind of timeline they have, just because backs can be strange. So we'll see if he is ready for Game 5. If he is ready for Game 5, I think you're going to see Tyler Zeller lose his minutes. Um, I, I don't think that you can take Thon off the floor at this point uh, just with – the impact that he has made um, with the energy that he has brought. The Bucks tonight went to, they took Giannis out and they were up 18 to 15 with about two minutes left in the first quarter. When he returned about two minutes into the second quarter, they were up 32-21. And largely, a lot of that was Don Maker and his energy. I just don't think you can take him off the floor with the with the boost that he has given the bench um so to me i think it would be removing tyler zeller he struggled to grab rebounds he's been following a lot um he just really hasn't had an impact on this series so if henson does return i think you're gonna see tyler zeller get knocked out of the, the rotation and see them go with henson and thumb in the first couple of games, Eric Bledsoe struggled. He was outplayed by Terry Rogier for the majority of those two games. But in the next two games, Rogier has struggled. He, he'd famously gone through this big stretch without any turnovers, but they forced him into a ton of turnovers in, uh, in game three. And his shot has been off in both of those. Is that a renewed focus from Bledsoe or is that more of a factor to do with the, the switching that they're doing defensively that's really putting, uh, the pressure there on Rogier, who'd been one of their main offensive sparks in the first couple of games? To me, it's about tactics. Um, the Celtics had done such a nice job, uh, especially in Game 2. They started uh, in Game 1. They threw, I think, 398 passes in Game 1, nearly 400 passes. So they were just you know moving the ball around, trying to find open spots. But in Game 2, they made uh, some tactical changes and decided, okay, we're going to use a lot of dribble handoffs in the middle of the floor. We're going to use a lot of pick and roll in the middle of the floor. We're going to use some dribble weave in the middle of the floor. And the Bucks were going under on Rozier. Um, they were just really unable to do anything with him because they weren't willing to switch a big onto him. Uh, so Bledsoe was dying on screens. And since they came back to Milwaukee, they've stopped going under. They've started to switch and just always keep someone in front of him. And then add on top of that that Delhi 
when he enters the game is going to pick him up 94 feet and you've just seen Terry Rozier I don't he hasn't looked exhausted or anything but he's just working so much harder that a guy with maybe not a, a huge great skill set like Terry Rozier like I think that can really bother him and they've really bothered him in these two games Rozier's been fantastic for Boston uh, throughout this season obviously with Kyrie and, and Marcus Smart out but people I think do forget that he is a below average shooter. He had a true shooting of 52% this year. I think he was under 50% and actually a worse shooter than Marcus Smart last season. So people expect him to be this knockdown guy. And he's hit big shots, but he ha- hasn't been asked to carry as large a load of this. And the Bucks are really taking that away from him at the moment. And if they can't, if the Celtics can't get that back or get you know, Rogier into more of a rhythm, they are going to struggle, as you said, with creating offense. I think, Eric, one of the other big factors here is that the Bucks have won these games decently comfortably, maybe uh, maybe more so uh, game three than game four, but they've done it without massive contributions from Yanni Antetokounmpo. Um, I think that augurs well for this team moving forward, but obviously it's a different challenge going to, to Boston. Do you think that the lessons they've learned from how to negotiate this Celtics team in these two games at home with obviously a different atmosphere is going to be able to translate on the road? I think these next uh, however many games are left. Uh, obviously, it's tied 2-2, so it could be 2, it could be 3. I, I think this next group of games is just going to turn into, uh, I mean, a fist fight between these two teams. Like they, they both turned up the physicality. They both, to me, kind of know each other inside out. And maybe, maybe Marcus Smart is closer than I would think, and maybe he comes back in Game 5 or comes back in one of these games, and maybe that kind of turns the series, but I think at this point the Celtics know that the Bucks are going to try to switch a lot of stuff now. Uh, the Celtics have changed kind of their offensive game plan around a couple times, and uh, both sides have figured out that parts of this stuff work and parts of this other thing don't work, and they've kind of pieced together their best game plans, and uh, I think we're now at a spot where they kind of just know each other, and it's going to be about who makes more shots and who makes more tough shots. And uh, down the stretch of this game four, the Celtics made a bunch of really tough shots. Jalen Brown had some really difficult shots. And Chris Middleton is shooting 62% from the field, 62% from three uh, thus far in this series. So he's done the same thing. But the Celtics are doing a really nice job on Giannis. Uh, You see a wall in front of him. They're switching stuff to make sure that he never has kind of a corner to turn. So I I think these two teams are are now going to be pretty well matched in these these next two to three games. And I think we're going to see close ones the rest of the way. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's a reasonable expectation. The Bucks have shot over fifty percent from the field in both of their victories, something which may not be uh, sustainable, especially considering the Celtics went for forty and forty-one percent in games three and game four. So obviously, change in tactics there, but some of that may normalise uh, just a little bit across these next couple of games. This looks like it's going to be a really tight series, Eric. We're tied two-two here. Um, the Bucks have, have changed things up; they're starting to figure things out. It's going to be really interesting. Everyone can check out everything from the Bucks' point of view with uh, with you over on. Locked on Bucks, but thank you for jumping on Locked on NBA and chatting about their resurgent Milwaukee team. Appreciate it, Josh. Another episode of Locked on NBA in the books. Don't forget to go and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn Stitcher, and on Spotify. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, a five-star rating and a review would be fantastic. Make sure you are checking out the rest of the Locked on Podcast Network. You can find us 
on the internet at LockedOnSports.com, our new website, which is the home of all our podcasts and written material. And of course, follow the Locked On NBA uh, podcast network Twitter feed, which is at Locked On NBA Net. You can also find us on Facebook over there as well, whenever the new episode of your favorite team is available. We're also branching out into Major League Baseball, so there are quite a few teams starting up there with, uh, with baseball as well as Locked On MLB. My name is Josh Lloyd. Find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball and check out my other podcast, Locked On Fantasy Basketball. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.